Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. Well, it's been a couple weeks since Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference in Cupertino. We've heard a lot of reactions to the Vision Pro headset and to many other things that were announced at WWDC. I've been on a couple podcasts about it. I've done some writing about it. But I wanted to talk about it with you here, the Parallel audience. And actually, I had an episode of Parallel booked for about a week after the event. Well, for scheduling reasons, we couldn't make that happen. But as it happened, I was on another podcast just last week with at least one of the people I had planned to talk with on Parallel. And I was hosting that episode, too. Uh, Mac Accessibility Roundtable is a podcast with uh, Mac and Apple geeks, and we alternate who hosts the show. And it happened in my turn last week when we were talking about the Worldwide Developers Conference. And I realized how much synchronicity there was between that episode specifically and what I wanted to do here on Parallel so I asked my friends at Maccessibility if they would mind if I uh, brought to you the section of that Maccessibility Roundtable episode that focused on WWDC, specifically our long conversation about the Vision Pro and accessibility, because I think it gets into a little more depth than what you will have heard about accessibility elsewhere. So what I'm about to play you is a large portion of the Maccessibility Roundtable and I will start by introducing the guests, and then we'll go into our WWDC coverage, and we'll cut it off right about the time we switch topics. If you like Maccessibility and want to hear me and the rest of what we call the Knights of the Round Table, go to maccessibility.net. There will be a link on the show notes. And there is sometimes overlap between that show and this one, but not enough so you would be bored listening to the two of them, at least if you have an interest in accessibility. Welcome back to a discussion of all things Apple and Macintosh with the Knights of the Round Table. And today we have uh, several knights, uh, starting with Robert Carter. Hi, Robert. Hi, Shelley. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to whatever we're going to discuss. Also with us is Robin Christofferson. Likewise. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. And rounding out the, the Knights of the Round Table, it's a square table today, I guess. It's Darcy Bernard. Hi. Hey, good to be here as always. Well, uh, it's good to have you. Good to have everyone. And we are here to talk about all things Apple, specifically follow up to the Worldwide Developers Conference. I think all of us, well, we were certainly on the podcast a week and a half ago talking about the keynote event. And since then, have probably had the opportunity to consume a lot of blogs and other writing about it, as well as maybe watching some presentations. So I'm wondering uh, if we have follow up from the various parts of the keynote. Let's let's go ahead and start with the headset, since that was sort of the big biggest unknown before, now called the Apple Vision Pro. Anybody want to jump in with uh, takes on what we saw, what we learned about the Vision Pro at WWDC? Well, I was really struck by how they made it so clear on the uh, John Gruber live show from there that the headset is incredibly capable of operating just as quickly, apparently, uh, with no latency as the human eye or the human visual system, which I think to me bodes really, really well for offering some very cool accessibility stuff. And we've already seen that there are, there's plenty of accessibility APIs in, in the, the operating system. So it, it's getting to me looking like it's going to be pretty darn exciting for accessibility. 
I didn't see, I didn't happen to hear John Gruber's thing, and and that's interesting because I did watch the accessibility related uh, videos, and the thing that struck me specifically with reference to voiceover was just that there there is new stuff for developers to learn, and I guess my question is going to be for third-party developers. How how much new kind of education is Apple going to have to do and ultimately consumers going to have to do to convince those developers, number one, that accessibility is something that that platform provides them in enough to the degree that they need. And secondly, that yes, you need it's worth the trouble to go and learn about direct gestures and the the voiceover specific items that are specified in those APIs because they're out there. But as we know, developers don't always have the best track record of taking advantage of them, especially if they have trouble imagining that an app that they're creating is something a blind person might want to use. And I feel like it's going to take some education for some developers to get that there are blind people. Out out there who are excited about the headset and who want to try to use it to its fullest possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I need to correct myself from last show where I said that, yeah, honestly, and I overruled Darcy on this point, it does have all day uh, battery life. Um, You know, when it's, what did I say? I said something like, it will run all day with the um, headset battery alone. And then if you've got the cable, it's you know, when it's two hours with the headset battery and all day with the cable, I was completely wrong. There is no battery inside it at all. You just get two hours with the the battery pack. And if you've got the mains cable plugged into the battery pack, then you get all day, i.e. just, you know, as long as you want, because it's it's on the mains. So yeah, apologies for that. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. When it comes to the accessibility capabilities of it, I mean, there's a great big long list that we could go through, but um, it's pretty much all the things that you get with iOS or iPadOS, for example. Um, and the developers, you know, can take advantage of that or break that or completely, you know, customize everything in iOS and iPadOS already. And we can see that, you know, varying results when it comes to accessibility. So the same thing applies for Vision OS as well. But I guess where the the major departure is, is when they're creating, you know, things that aren't anything like iOS or iPadOS apps. They are AR experiences, you know, they are um, taking full advantage of the 3D objects, etc. There are uniquely um, Vision OS, um, or is it ARKit specific? Um, capabilities that I guess they'll need to know about and and not break or at least kind of layer on accessibility because you probably don't get accessibility free when it comes to that sort of experience versus, you know, just using Xcode and SwiftUI and stuff to build your standard mobile app, for example. So, yeah. And then there are overlaps with gestures. You know, there are gestures for moving around the voiceover cursor with your fingers. But if the developer is using the, you know, hand um, recognition, gesture recognition in their app for a specific thing, then that might override that. So, yeah, there are some other considerations there as well. I think that education, that's where I was getting at the education component, because it does feel like less of it is available for free. And again, the sort of uh, a place where people are sort of uh, unaware that there are blind users who might want to use their experiences, particularly if they are AR-focused or maybe even VR-focused. But even in the case of like apps that are running in a Finder-like environment, I sort of want, I feel like a lot of that accessibility is 
free. And I guess the issue will be, you know, are people going to take advantage of all of the APIs that are available? And the alternative voiceover gestures, again, it feels like it's just another set of things for developers to learn about, which doesn't mean that it's insurmountable. And there are a lot of developers who I'm sure will do their best to increase accessibility. But I think it is going to become incumbent upon us to have enough knowledge to to sort of suggest where developers might go in order to find the accessibility hooks that they need. I wonder if like, um, because I know they talked a lot about how, for example, when you're using an app, the app won't get, you know, kind of what you're focused on. It will only find out later on when you've actually selected something like more for security or whatever. And I wonder, you know, for that reason, if, if, you know, whether you're selecting stuff with your eyes or whether you're selecting stuff with this with these voiceover gestures, it won't really matter to the app. You know, it'll just um, it just will learn what you're what you're doing, what you're selecting, and it might be a whole separate thing. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes, and it's going to be it's probably going to take a little while too, because I mean, there's probably not going to be nearly as many people who get this first generation uh, Vision Pro thing as you know voiceover users who got the first iphone so there's probably not going to be quite as many people you know letting the develop i mean i'm sure there'll be some right but they're not going to be quite to the same extent that there were back in 2009 or whatever it was when when voiceover first came out so it, it it may take a few years to to really you know get that and and figure out figure out what you know what works for us and and you know because sometimes Sometimes, you know, the initial things of, of how Apple thinks stuff will work end up changing, you know, once it gets out there and, you know, we see how people are actually using the thing. Yeah, to be honest, what I really hope happens is that some of the developers who are making either porting, you don't even really have to port them over because you can use current iOS apps with Vision OS as I understand it. But I imagine that some developers of apps will do custom things, even if Vision OS, even if their app isn't specifically an AR app. But what I hope is that some of those developers of apps that end up on Vision OS will sort of pave the way in terms of accessibility so that because the, the AR thing is like to me is a separate thing and to me like the the, the way the reason that I kind of worry about this platform is that the long term idea that this may be an alternative way to interact with your stuff uh, versus an iPhone or a computer even that that it might be your platform and in that case accessibility becomes not only important but it, it, complete accessibility it becomes important. I mean, it becomes super important that all the apps are accessible. And even if you're, say, consuming entertainment content, which I think is going to be a huge thing for both blind and low vision people on this device, the apps that get you to that entertainment content have to be accessible in the way that we expect that from an iOS or a Mac app. And those are kind of the easier reaches, to be honest. But I think how developers engage with us and how developers make those sort of basic garden variety apps that you, we find on iOS today accessible is going to tell us a lot about what Vision OS is going to be like in terms of accessibility. Well, I'm hopeful that we can have, you know, accessibility on par with what we've achieved with the Mac and, and iOS. I mean, that's, it's not, it's not all perfectly accessible either, but it's pretty good. Right. And I hope it is at least on par, because I think 
I at least intuitively understand when I come across an inaccessible app on iOS or even macOS, I intuitively understand what's missing and how I would make my case. Like, what what's is it labels? Is it unbut? Is it unlabeled buttons? Is it uh, some sort of interaction means that is not available to us that is available to somebody else? Uh, and I think we're we're going to have to learn about Vision OS too in terms of like telling developers what's missing and sort of pointing them in the right direction. And and obviously some people are going to do this more than others. Not everybody's going to be expected to do this, but people like us who sort of talk about it a lot are probably going to be well advised to sort of take a look at what are the pain points. And obviously we can't see this device for a number of months. And, and I think Darcy's right. I think it's going to take several years for this to sort of shake out. And that price point is of $3,500 may be a good thing in that sense, because if it was $500 and everybody was going out and buying it, there might be expectations of accessibility that were unreasonable at launch. Since we last talked about it, we know more about the features that might be of interest to blind and low vision people. So we know it's got voiceover on, you know, we, you know, we can invoke it by triple clicking the crown. Um, We know it's got automatic image recognition and automatic text recognition. And we know that, you know, you can um, point at something and like the point and speak in iOS 17. Let's see how, how good that's going to be in in uh, reality. But um, yeah, so we know things like that. We know it's got Zoom. Um, I'm hoping that not only will you be able to zoom in on apps and things, but you'll be able to zoom in on the world as well, because that would be amazing from a vision point of view. Yeah, Yeah. I would hope so anyway. Um, And you've got coloured filters. So again, ditto, would you be able to apply those to the real world? Because a lot of people, you know, live in a kind of a low contrast world because of their vision, particular vision condition. So to be able to make that high contrast would be super cool. So, yeah, there's quite a lot more that we know now that to me makes makes it a much more exciting. I mean, I was optimistic that we would have all this stuff anyway, but we know for sure now that there's going to be some direct applications for us. Dynamic type uh, as well. I mean, mm -hmm. if anything, I'm worried about the low vision experience because people's, and and I realize there are input methods other than with your eyes. That's the whole point of this. But my question is going to be for any given low vision person, how their eyes interact with this device is going to play a large role in whether they decide that they need to use voiceover or whether they try to use it visually. And if you use it visually, do you have to have the ability to do eye gaze in the same way that somebody with typical vision would have? Or do you does your experience become essentially a voiceover experience? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you, if you have this device as a low vision person, one of the reasons that it is interesting to you is that you can consume that visual content. In my case, the, to be honest, like the I'm I'm less enthusiastic about this device than a lot of people. I'm committed to evaluating it from an accessibility point of view without regard to my own personal opinion. I'm not excited to have one. I'm not I'm not blown away by this like VR and AR it's like, "Nah, I don't care." But if I were going to use it, the first thing I'd want to do is consume entertainment content because the way I can look at it as a low vision person is going to be such an improvement over the way I'm going to look at it as somebody who's watching television. But I don't know what my experience is going to be like interacting with apps and such, because I know I'll have Zoom and hopefully dynamic type if my app supports it. But I guess I kind of wonder, like, what's going to be the preferred 
input method or selection method, am I going to be able to use eye gaze or is it be- going to be better for me to use voiceover at least in a limited manner? Am I going to be turning voiceover on and off a lot in order to use this device? Nobody knows. I think it's interesting too, like, you know, what, at least I'm just thinking about from, from like the voiceover user's perspective, um, I have a feeling this will be very, have a very different use case than somebody who's, who's fully sighted or even someone, um, you know, who has partially sighted because, because like, you know, I was just thinking, will, like all the sort of explanations or the examples people have had, you know, people who can see will be spending like lots of time using this thing, right? Like they'll be, you know, basically you can do anything in it. You can do all your stuff um, inside it. And whereas I could see like the voiceover user using more of the sort of all the various sensors and stuff like that. And will it be something that we'll want to use all the time or will the experience still be better on other devices? Um, you know, it's just going to be really interesting to see how, um, cause the things that make it really compelling, I think for a lot of people, um, I don't know if we'll have that. It, if, if I don't know if I'm making any sense at all, but no, you uh, absolutely are. I've, I've thought about that a lot because like, I feel like it's another platform that will be accessible to us, but as a voiceover user or even a vision person, but especially if you're a voiceover user, does this make sense? Are you getting stuff that you can't get from an iPhone or a Mac? Is it going to be a better experience for you? And the, the answer to that question is going to lie, it seems to me, in the app experiences. Is somebody going to make an app that you really want to use that's not available on another platform as opposed to, oh, well, I have a choice of three platforms to do my daily job in, but this headset may be not the best solution for a voiceover user who's doing a a job, but it might be the best solution for somebody with full sight. Right. And that's kind of what I mean, it's going to be fascinating. And I think one thing that I kept thinking about when you were talking about that was, I wonder how similar or different these questions that we're asking right now are to the ones we asked in 2009 when we first learned that the touchscreen was going to become accessible. I, I was just thinking about that. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Whenever a new platform comes along, I think we come up with these similar but different type questions. Right. And, you know, I think the answers are going to be different for different people. Like a, a great example, um, I, I was just thinking about like something like the iPad. You know, the iPad... There's some great advantages over the phone um, and there's, you know, obviously some disadvantages, but I know there are some people, for example, who use voiceover who only ever use um, like the flick gestures and stuff like that. So the advantages of an iPad aren't really there, right? Because you're, you can, but, but like if you, if you kind of explore by touch, you can see, you know, there's, there's advantages because you have multiple uh pains and things like that and you can do stuff but where if you just flick that's that's maybe not so so much of an advantage so i think it's going to be it's going to vary between between different people um but you are right robert that like i do remember people saying that it's like okay this is great that it's accessible but you know i have my phone with a keypad on it and i'm really productive with it so is this going to be better and i think you know you're right we're asking the same sort of questions now the advantage that you had in 2009 was that the phone had been around for a couple of years. And I think many blind people who were following it at the time understood how sighted people were using their phone. 
and they wanted to use it and they wanted they already knew the names of apps that were out there that they wanted to use. And so the questions then were fairly specific about, you know, will I be able to use XYZ app? Will I be able to game? Will I be able to read my email? Will I be able to read the newspaper? And this device feels like they're more unknowns, but the iPad is to me a super good example because if you're a voiceover user, why not watch a movie on your iPhone? Whereas a lot of people say, well, the reason I like the iPad is it's got a bigger screen where I can consume content. Or if you're a Braille screen input user, you've got more space to, to type. But if you're a voiceover user who's exploring, you know, flicking around and stuff, the iPad may even be a disadvantage because that screen is so large that you may kind of get lost. Like the experience that I have, if somebody puts me in front of a giant screen, I'm like, that screen's too big. I can't use that because it is not focusing enough of my uh, energy in the place where I work. And the, you know, the, the iPad is almost, to me, a better analogy to, to what we know about Vision Pro right now than the phone. But I take the point. I feel that way on an iPad. It's too big. It's too, I'm at sea here. So yeah, I like it to be really small. Yeah. And I really um, like the iPad because I like, there are certain situations that just work better. Like, um, you know, having like um, the, the Mona app, for example, I like it on the yeah, phone. Columns. You have the columns. Like when you open up a um, a conversation, it, you know, shoots over onto the right and you can, you can just see it without having to like go back. Like I really like that's the great. way that works on the iPad. But if you only flick that, you're, that's just going to get more and more confusing. So it just. I see that. Well, that's, that's like what I was saying about Vision Pro and, and watching entertainment because I, as somebody with vision, love the idea that the screen is basically on my eyeballs. Uh, that's great. But if you say, okay, Shelley, well, here you go. You can play this game or you can have this VR experience or you can even, you know, use your app. You can use your device to read your mail. And I'm like, it's a lot easier for me and more intuitive to read my email on my computer or my phone. I already, I still make computer choices. I'm in my, I work at home a lot. And so I can choose whether to use my phone or my computer at any given time. And I use both. But if you say to me, you know, all things being equal, which would you rather do? Would you rather use your computer or your phone to read an email? I'm going to say my computer because I have more space and I have more features and it's just, you know, it's more intuitive for me. Even though I could use my phone, even though I can use the Vision Pro, I just can't imagine putting that headset on to respond to an email. But I can absolutely imagine putting it on to watch a movie and I might be following it with friends on Twitter or Mastodon or someplace. And so that window might pop up in the corner. But my main objective is to get a better view of that movie than than I can with a phone or TV. Yeah, but what's unknown right now is how good your view of your email is going to be through this device. Right, exactly. So you don't know yet whether it's going to, you might prefer that or not. So it's just fascinating, isn't it? And the thing I wonder too is, you know, Apple for the most part, not always, but for the most part, they're pretty, pretty good about researching things that they're getting ready to dive into. Like they usually gather a lot of data, a lot of information. They've been gathering data and information about accessibility for many, many years now, will that will they be able to bring that data out in such a way, what they already know out in this device in such a way that that they can provide they, that they have a pretty good idea, for example, of what a voiceover user is going to need or want? That, that's going to be interesting to me to see. You might love it. You know, Shelley, because you're not having to physically move closer to a screen or 
I don't know, reach for the scroll wheel on your mouse to, yeah, to zoom I mean, in and out or something. It's unknown. You could, it's like yeah. so, like it's, I feel like for me, it's either going to be love or indifference. It's it's not going to be in between. And that's not an emotional thing. I think it's going to be whether when I, you know, as the people who saw this at WWDC, admittedly, nobody in our community that I know of, uh, the people who saw it, who actually got to wear it at WWDC, talk about how intuitive it is and how magical it is from a point of view of I knew what to do immediately. And I guess my, a lot of my questions range around how we're going to feel, because when I hear about those voiceover pinch gestures, they don't sound intuitive, but a lot of voiceover gestures didn't sound intuitive when the first time I learned them. So I'm trying to keep an open mind as far as that goes. And also, yeah, is is the visual experience like I've put on this is compared to the OrCam and the eSight a lot. Uh, I put on an eSight and I could not use it at all. There was no world in which the eSight made any sense mm. for my personal eye condition. Uh OrCam, probably a little better. But yeah, has Apple hopefully uh, factored in, and, th- and those devices are glasses, they're not headsets, so it's kind of a different thing. But has Apple factored in the variability of eye conditions for people with low vision, for example, in a way that's going to make this more usable for somebody like me? I, th- I tend to think they have. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a perfect device for me, but I have more confidence in what they're doing there than I think I would in most other cases. Yeah. I feel like it's a rich canvas for them to explore, really, you know, taking advantage of the technology they've got in there to help people with different eye conditions. You know, if you can only see out of the left corner of your eye, then map the central vision bit to that. So you don't have to, I don't know, look at something out of the corner of your left eye. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, going back to the the gestures and stuff like that, it, we should say that it does support a you know Bluetooth keyboard, so you could drive voiceover from yep. your normal gestures. I mean, uh, keyboard controls, and it supports a rail display as rail displays as well. So, you know, it's funny um, talking about the gestures and how, like, because sometimes, sometimes when you read about gestures too, it's it's hard to get how useful they are or how intuitive they are until you actually have the thing. Like, I remember when iOS first was announced when voiceover for iOS was first announced and reading about them and stuff. And it sounded kind of confusing. Like the rotor specifically was something that I just like, how are you going to, that just seems weird. But then once I, once I got the first time I got a chance to play with an iOS device and I, I got my, got a, it, once I got it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like a little knob that you twist. I get, yeah, I get it. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to say. Um, and this device has they've they've implemented additional layers of voiceover gestures or something called direct gestures, which I'm not hundred percent clear on. And app developers can implement quick actions and rotors, which are familiar to us in iOS. But they've taken the interfaces that are on existing platforms, and they they seem to have adapted them to Vision OS. So I think a lot of sort of the level of intuitiveness and richness of the voiceover experience. Uh, is there if developers are willing to claim it and if Apple does enough to sort of give us as users the ability to understand like what what's reasonable for us to expect and what the interaction methods are they they they've definitely thought about it in detail it isn't it isn't and the fact that they've talked about it as soon as they have i think is beneficial too because i kind of expected that they would not be as specific as they have been about accessibility because even if you look at the demos that were done in the keynote and state of the union all of them are both visually and uh, content wise very vague 
They're very like we know what the device will do, but we're kind of trusting Apple. There aren't demos of there aren't pictures of executives wearing this headset. The demos that you see in the WWDC presentations don't include actual use of the headset. They've been uh, dummied up to sort of show how it's going to work. It just means that there's a long, long way to go before we get to see this device. And yet the accessibility experiences that they've described and the input methods that they've described are fairly detailed and sophisticated at this point. Yeah. We we do have a question from a listener. Um, Excellent. Our, our friend, our friend David Ward. Actually, a question for you, Shelley. He asked if you're going to if you're going to be writing a uh, a guide for Vision OS anytime soon. <laughs> uh, you know, if I were to do that, I, it's the sort of thing where I'd probably have to start a GoFundMe to get one. I so I, I might have uh, possibilities are always open. I did commit to writing an iOS 17 book, so let me finish that first. <laughs> But uh, yeah, watch for the Kickstarter or GoFundMe sometime in in early 2024. Either that or every copy of the book is really expensive. <laughs> That's right. Three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars for that was exactly the figure I was going to quote. Right, but it's a, the, the whole book itself will be in AR. Right, you'll have yeah, to have a have headset to. in order to use it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll never happen. In that case. no more hassling with the PDF. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the headset before we proceed to a few other uh, WWDC topics? Just to say that I think the only way I'll get my hands on one is if, you know, maybe the second gens come out and the first gen, somebody breaks their screen and they think, oh, I can't be bothered to replace it. I'll, you know, go for the next one and I'll whack it on eBay. A lot of the money has to be in the screen. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. You get a heck of a value. Perfect I love working it. order. Just a broken screen. Just a broken I'll have screen. That. Thank you. Right. All right. You've, you've heard it here first, friends. If you break your screen on your headset, get in touch with Robin and or the rest of us. Yeah. It might be Except not, maybe not me. Uh, yeah, you would kind of need the screen, I think. I kind of. Oh, I can. That spider crack. I can deal with that. It's no problem. <laughs> oh, it's getting bigger. It's like the windshield in your car. Yes. Just, the crack is getting bigger. Uh, anything about what we know about iOS 17 or iPad OS 17 that we want to talk about? A lot of the detail, there hasn't been, in my opinion, you guys can tell me if you found things that, that I might have missed, there's not a ton of stuff that we didn't hear about in the keynote. We might not have been able to process it yet, but it's not like there's a lot of iOS 17 features that sort of came out a week later and we're like, oh, wow. Did we talk about point and speak last time? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember. Well, I, don't think, I think we, we talked about it when they announced it for... Um, for Global Accessibility Awareness Day, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think we talked about it much. That's true. No. Probably People have been using it in the dev beta and they say it's, you know, early, early days. That's where you point at something, just like the OrCam that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. You point at something and it tells where you're pointing and it'll OCR it or in the case of appliances, I don't know, try and... Do more than just OCR if it's got icons on the touch panel. Uh, my or understanding is that it, at least as it was described, it couldn't do icons. I don't know whether that's okay. in practice true or not, but the demos that they gave after Global Accessibility Awareness Day were all text based. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question is going to be are they going to be able to move on to things like icons? Using AI well, or something. I talked to a them. guy who says he he's do he's testing the beta, a blind guy. And he told me that it was early days, as you all are saying, and there were things to work out. 
but he said he was able to accessibly use uh, things like his micro, uh, his, his microwave oven uh, for the first time, and uh, that he was able to to do things on his computer screen that he had not been able to to make access before. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I I haven't tried it. I'm just saying what I was told. Yeah, again, point and speak requires you to have a phone with a LiDAR sensor or a phone or iPad with a LiDAR sensor. So only folks who have the dev betas and who have those devices have been able to test it yet. And I am that person, but I haven't tested it yet. (laughs) I've barely gotten it installed. And I've actually been playing with assistive access a lot because it's something that my elderly mother might be able to use. So point and speak needs to be added to my list probably in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the problem for me is that I I would not only have one iPhone with LiDAR on it, which is my primary phone. I'm just not willing to put the beta on it at this point because I need it for so many other things. That's reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. Especially not it's the very early days for you the know, beta. the Dev 1 <laughs> beta, you know, that's... <laughs> right, right. So... I, I have I use my daily driver is an older phone. So the newest phone I have is my beta phone for, for reasons that are all about what I do every summer. <laughs> well, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I still sure. use an SE, so I'm definitely not going to be in the market for it. But I was thinking earlier when we were talking about the price of Vision Pro, I'm going to wait for the Vision SE to come out. Vision, but then I thought, oh, yeah. it won't have a LiDAR on it. So forget that. <laughs> and, and there will be. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so you start out at this $3,500 price point. It seems to me that inevitably it's going to come down either in the sense that there will be lower end versions of the product or that the this product will become you know more capable and that the, there'll be room below it for for products that that you know are are actually cheaper but that have some of the same features so you know uh, even though $3,500 that's a lot of money although I, I did pay $3,500 for a, a power computing tower like 25 years ago but but I'd don't do that anymore. <laughs> wow. Anything else on iOS or iPadOS 17? I did hear from someone, and, and I'm not a Braille display user, so I can't really comment, but I did hear from somebody posting on Mastodon that a lot of the, it sounds like, or I shouldn't say a lot of, but at least some of the longstanding Braille display bugs seem to be fixed. So that's a good sign. Oh, that's a very good sign because they were getting bad. Yeah. And I'm not a Braille Display user, but I read enough in the community. I read enough at AppleViz that I find out that there are t- tons of really inexcusable bugs. So it's good to see some of them I am a squashed. Braille Display user, and I'm really glad to hear that because I think it's long overdue that iOS 17 come out working well with Braille out of the box as opposed mm-hmm. to working well six months later or somewhat better six months later. Yeah. I hope it's caught up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of an unfortunate pattern because when it ships, almost always there seem to be bugs and then the point one or point two release fixes them, but that's in December or January or something like that. So that's mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to see that really be a priority for them. And and maybe because there's not a lot else going on in terms of new features for Braille displays or even for voiceover, with the exception of point and speak, maybe that gives that part of the team a little more opportunity to be squishing bugs. Absolutely. Alrighty then. Um, anything else from WWDC? We can talk about Mac hardware. I don't know if any of you guys saw anything. Does the 15-inch MacBook Air excite you, or the Mac Studio, or uh, anybody going to buy anything? I don't think I'm going to. Although I 
don't think I would want, I, I keep thinking, keep coming back, even though it's come out for a little while, I keep coming back to the, if I'm going to buy anything, I think that the 13 inch air sounds kind of compelling for me because I, I have the last generation, um, Intel, um, air and they keep, it was funny. Like, I think I said, I commented on the keynote podcast we did. It's like, they were talking to me because they kept talking about how much faster it was than the, the, the last, the last Intel MacBook Air. So um, yeah. maybe. Well, but actually, they lowered the price a little bit on, they the, did, on yeah. the M2 they Air. Did. So obviously you don't need a 15-inch screen. So why no, pay two no, and they're, but, they're, but I do like that the difference in cost between those two devices is only a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, so if a screen bad. is a thing that matters to you, which is a very un-Apple thing to do. Don't tell them I noticed. Yeah. But uh, it, I think if, if you want a 15-inch Air, which I do not, uh, it's, it's a good value. Yeah. I know they'll never do it, but I want them to bring out an 11-inch. Because <laughs> my That'd favorite computer ever was yes. the uh, 11-inch. I, I have never had a MacBook that. Air because I love ports so much. And I know I can get dongles and docks and things like that. But I just love the, if I were going to get one, the idea of an 11-inch Air just seems so perfect. That's the uh, one thing I don't like I don't... about the Air that I have is that only the, the two USB ports. That's. Mm. Do you have a 13? You said Darcy yes, has a 13-inch Air. It's at, a 13, uh, like from 2020. Yeah. So it's just before yeah. they, like, I bought it at exactly the wrong time because it was just <laughs> before the, the transition. But sometimes those two USB ports, and I had, I had a, a, a Thunderbolt dock that I bought with. And so at that point, I really didn't have any issues, but it died on me. So I haven't bought another because mm. those Thunderbolt docks aren't cheap. So I haven't bought another yeah. one. Um, but... Uh, the um the thing that that so I I don't know, I am I do feel that but but actually the thing from WW that I'm sort of interested in and I haven't heard much about it but it sounds like for watchOS it sounds like the everything's all changed it sounds like the it's a completely new UI so widgets has- and the complications are not as much of a thing anymore it's more more about widgets I don't really understand it I haven't paid yeah. attention to it to be and quite apparently honest the but a lot of developers. Gone. Yeah, which is fine with me. <laughs> oh, see, I used that. I, 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 Do you? Well, yeah, because yeah. I just, I had, you know, there was only a handful of apps that I ever went into. And so they were just there. Um, right. But if I can get to, I mean, it doesn't, I'm not like, I wouldn't miss it is if there's a way for me to get to the apps I use all the time quickly, like however that is. Um, but it sounds like that button on the side now is going to bring up control center. Instead of uh, the dock, which actually doesn't bother me so much because there's so many times when I'm trying to scroll the screen and end inadvertently trigger control center. So, oh, yeah, um, if if they, you know, obviously you wouldn't be doing that gesture anymore. So that I'm, I'm fine with that. So um, I'm going to be interested to see how that how the new uh, watch OS, because it seems like that is the thing. That seems like, you know, Apple really hasn't cracked it yet. Like, it, it, you know, the phone hasn't really changed too much since it came out. I mean, they've added widgets. They've added all these extra things. But the but the the watch has changed so many times since it came out. Like, you know, the, the way the home screens work, the there used to be these things called glances. They didn't last too long. Like, it seems like they're still trying to figure out the watch and like the UI for it. So I'll be interested to see what they do. 
See, and part of my theory about Vision OS, two things. First of all, again, the demos that we've seen so far have been very vague. There's been interface stuff, but we're not actually seeing what a live Vision OS, Vision Pro experience is like. And I feel like it's inevitable that whatever they actually ship, it's going to change several times while Apple and the world figures out what that product is for and what it's about. And so, like, even it's kind of weird even talking about it because it's like, I don't think we know what it's going to be looking like at all. I feel even more so than the watch. Although you know, the watch had an identity crisis because what was it for? And they finally figured out it was mostly about fitness. And they, you know, tried to use metaphors that people who like watches knew, like complications. And that didn't speak to a lot of people. And so they're changing it. And um, I don't know, very, very much feels like something like that could happen to the Vision Pro. Yeah, and it's really hard to even say how far along they are because from things I have read of people trying the who got to do the demo, it was very guided. Like, okay, we're going to do yes. this now, we're going to do this, and because I I saw someone tweet once, like I'm, I wish you know one of the journalists would have tried turning voiceover on. Maybe they couldn't. You know, maybe there. It sounds like it was very much that. like this is what you're going to do, and who and, knows? And just much- a little. Inside baseball, to my knowledge, because Apple sometimes will brief people in the accessibility community, journalists and other folks, about stuff when it comes out. And they did that after Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and people learned stuff. But to my knowledge, uh, I didn't hear of anyone who got a briefing on accessibility stuff, in uh, Vision, specifically in Vision Pro. And I suspect that there's a reason for that. <laughs> and that stuff may not be even, be even there yet. Like- right. I mean, right. they know what's going to be there or what their hope is going to be there on day one, but it may not be um, implemented. Like, I remember I remember as a comparison hearing about when the iPhone was first announced and Steve Jobs demoed it on stage and then some journalists got to try it. It was very much like, you need to do these things in, these spe- in this specific order because that's all we have ready at this point, you know? And I, I suspect well, the that- demo that he did had this golden path through it, and he had to get it exactly yeah. right. And every time he got it right, the next step and the next step, the developers out the back would be drinking shots. Yes, we're just <laughs> like, oh, it's not going to crash. Praying yeah. that he wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and I think the the demos that press were given at the time, it was the same deal. Like you got to go into this, you got to. And and I think it sounds like that's where where the uh, what we were seeing this week was the the people who were doing it. It was very much they were on a path. And they were on a path. They they had they each had a couple of Apple handlers with them, and then they they did a demo that was prescribed. And so some of the stuff we saw in the keynote, like the thing with the dinosaur, apparently that was shown to them. So a lot of so the actual content you got to see was prescribed, as well as presumably the interaction. And then after they got out, journalists were asking, you know, given the opportunity to ask questions, but some of them were sort of blown away by it, and even what came out in their articles was mostly about sort of their feeling about it rather than what they actually learned about it in detail. And I think that's two things. I think that's what you say is that they weren't quite ready, uh, Apple. And secondly, I think Apple created demos in such a way that it kind of put people off their uh, journalistic skills in terms of like asking hard questions because they were so blown away by having this experience. On the flip side, you know, if you uh, go and watch John Gruber's uh, live show from WWDC. He had the person on there who's heads up the Vision Pro team, uh, along with Craig and Jaws and the, the the usual people. 
but but the guy said on on the show that the things that they showed at the keynote were absolutely live from the headset. They weren't mock-ups or imitations of what it can do. It was actually the headset doing it. It was challenging to figure out how to put that up on a big screen, how to film it. But it's so interesting, like, because, you know, I mean, I'm just telling you what he said on the show. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not saying that they were faked in any way. I'm sure they no. weren't, but I'm just saying, like, they couldn't just go off and open up whatever app they wanted or whatever. It was very much like, this is, because if it's not coming out till next year, it probably has a, like, you know, Vision OS probably has a long way to go before it's. And and to be fair, like all of us, how how many times have we come in here and said, boy, I sure wish Apple would give us a heads up about what's coming. Give us a roadmap. Tell us what we can expect in the next six months or a year. And I'm sure developers say that all the time. Mm-hmm. And when they do it, we're like, wow, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't, yeah. you know, customizable in the way that we would like it to be. Yeah. So I'm fine with it. I think oh, it's yeah. worth mentioning. Yeah, I wasn't, a lot I wasn't of aspects. Yeah, I would just, I just, I'm just, I'm just right. arguing just to kind of say to our listeners, you know, for me at least, I don't feel discouraged by this. I think this is normal product oh, development, yeah, at least in the way agreed. that Apple and, does. And I'm, I apologize if it, if it sounded like I was saying otherwise, because I, I think, no, I think did. we're all in agreement here. It's just that, um, yeah. you know, this is, it's, it's early days. It's, it's like, worth telling people who might not have obsessively watched the keynote or who didn't get a live demo sort of what the experience seemed like. It it did not feel like a headset was handed to a journalist and the journalist had half an hour to do whatever they wanted with it. No. That is often not the way demos happen. But because it's very early days, since the demo was of that kind, I think it's absolutely relevant to point out what the experience of getting the demo as well as what they saw in the demo was like. Yeah. And oh, who I knows? Agree. I mean, chances are like when they have their fall, when they have their fall event and when they have any other, they, they probably every time will give us you know more chance. Like here's, here's oh, some yeah. more stuff about this thing. And maybe journalists will get to try more stuff. And it's just, it's early, it's early days, but I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm definitely interested into seeing what they do, whether I want one or not. I don't know, but I, I, I am, it's exciting because it sounds like, you know, we're, in the middle of something new and it's it's going to be exciting to see what it becomes for sure i'm excited to hear the first you know podcasts of vi people demoing it because someone somewhere is going to get one and put it through its paces when it comes out developers probably first but and they're they're limited in what they can say but things tend to leak out so it'll be interesting yeah. to see when those dev kits come out and they they announced that developers will be able to go to certain sites around the world and they'll be able to get their hands on it and then i guess the question is will other developers be able to actually purchase one and take it home and develop their apps with my guess is that that is kind of based on what your app is like if you have something that's crucial to the platform yeah. apple will probably give you priority in terms of when you get it when the it'll be interesting i mean another thing because people are always wagering and drafting and doing things like this when will the first uh, vip who's not like a developer uh, who's you know get it get a hold of it and actually write something that tells about what the experience is like uh, I don't know. Uh, could be the fall. Could be closer to the beginning of next year. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think right. it'll be well, Oprah. I'm voting for Oprah. She'll, she'll be right <laughs> up there. <laughs> you go, Oprah. That was a segment of last week's Mac Accessibility Roundtable. Thank you to Robin and Robert and Darcy for agreeing to let me publish here on the parallel feed as well. We'll be back in two weeks with something that probably doesn't have to do with Apple 
But you never know. It's anyone's guess. Uh, thanks for listening. If you want to keep up with the show, go to relay.fm slash parallel. You can subscribe there as well as find all of our social media links. You can also go to the merch store on that site and buy yourself an accessibility sprinkle shirt. I'm really proud of them, so I hope you'll consider it. Thanks for being with me, and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye now.